over. <laughs> we have to change that in a little bit. Anyway, uh, I think it was good for us to have a little bit of a break, though. It was a little bit of a longer, longer message a few minutes ago, kind of weighty, too. Um, so what we're going to do now, though, we're going to get into stuff that's a little bit more academic, um, things, things that some people, with what I'm about to say, would agree with, some things that some people probably wouldn't. I'll tell you where, um, uh, where I believe and what I teach and what I believe is right according to scriptures. Um, let's go ahead and take our Bibles, and we're going to go to the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, actually, hang on, let's back up. Let's go to Acts chapter number 2 first. Acts chapter number 2. And I want to I want to encourage you this, and a lot of you guys do this, and I think this is great. Um, you, you'll have you'll have specific questions about things in the Bible. Hey, preacher, what does the Bible say about this? And man, I I very much welcome and like questions because one of, one of two or three things is going to happen. Either one, I'm going to say, man, I don't know, and you've given me something to go study. I think that's great. I love doing that. Or two, it also shows me, hey, maybe this is something that I haven't taught on or haven't taught on in a while that I can go back and kind of revisit. So that's, that's good. I always appreciate uh, knowing what you guys are, are studi- studying and thinking on going through that kind of stuff. And this is kind of one of those. The last time I remember talking about this was, it's probably been at least a year and a half or so ago, because during our second services, we were doing uh, biblical worldview. And then prior to that, I did a whole study on... Um, various religions around the world and what different religions say. So that's probably been at least like a year and a half or so ago. Um, and, I ta- and I touched on this a little bit during one of those studies of the different religions. Um, but we're going to talk about today uh, sign gifts. And specifically, we're going to talk about speaking in tongues and what, and what that is. And what does the Bible say about it for today? And what did the Bible say even then? Is that even a thing in the Bible? Uh, some of those yes, some of those no. So we're going to start in Acts chapter number 2. I'm going to read a few scriptures I'm going to show you what, um, what speaking in tongues was, what it was not, and also we're going to talk about how what's going on today that, that people are calling speaking in tongues is not what was happening in the Bible, which is actually pretty interesting. And I think it's important for us to know this because it's uh, in the last, I think since 1970-something. I can't remember specifically what year it was. Anyway, within the last 50 years, it's been growing in popularity, like a lot. Um, which, is, which is really interesting to me for a lot of reasons. Anyway, let's talk about what the Bible says. So let's have a word of prayer first, ask for the Lord's help, and then we'll do this a little bit, little bit quicker of a study, a little, a little more academic, but it's good. Our Lord, we love you, and we never want to cease to recognize and to talk about how much we love you. Lord, we just want to praise your name and thank you for being so, so very good to us. Lord, I'm so glad that you came to forgive us of our sins. You died and paid for our sins so that we didn't have to be lost and relish in those things. Lord, thank you. I pray that you would help us to always live by the word of God. When the scripture speaks to us and shows us something, Lord, will you show that to us? And will you help us to work those things out? Lord, I also ask you, help us have a right understanding of scripture and where we are today and how we can worship you and honor you. So, Lord, we love you and pray you'd help us with all these things. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so Acts chapter number 2. Before we even read the scripture, I want to tell you what's happening in the book of Acts. That's actually important. It's good to know what you're reading, who wrote it, why they wrote it, and what time period you're reading before you actually start reading it. That being said, the book of Acts is when the the quote-unquote new covenant is actually just starting. So when you're in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus Christ hadn't died yet. Your sins hadn't been paid for yet. I mean, Jesus is still here. He's preaching and teaching, but he hadn't gone to the cross, and he hadn't shed his blood. So 
So really, during that time that Jesus is walking and talking on the earth, you're still under, uh, under the old covenant in the sense that people were still going and they were still sacrificing animals and they were still uh, worshiping under the Old Testament law. That was still that time period. Once you get to the end of the Gospels where Jesus is on the cross, he died and shed his blood, now sins are forgiven. Now the veil is torn into, and now this new covenant is starting to come out, and now we're worshiping in different ways. So, Jesus died on the cross. Here he is. He's on the cross. He, he passed away. Uh, he rose again three days later. Now the question is this. Uh, where, did, where did the church start? Now, now, there's a few different things in there that you could talk about. What, what verse you want to nail it down to? I, I kind of look at it and see it as a process. It was a growth process. Acts chapter number 2, though, is when the church and the apostles received power. God gave the apostles some specific abilities and some specific blessings to show the rest of the world that, oh, there's something really special happening here. What did Jesus do to prove that he was Jesus? What did he do to prove that he was God? He did miracles. Like, there, that wasn't, he didn't cause someone that was uh, lame to walk again just because, hey, hey, this will be something pretty cool. Watch this cool trick. No, he wanted to prove that he was God. Do you remember the story of when these men went up to the rooftop and they tore a hole open in the roof and then they lowered this guy down before Jesus and he was lame, he was crippled, he couldn't walk. There were Pharisees there watching that and the Pharisees are like, oh, you just, this is not right for you. Nobody can forgive a man of sin because that's what he was preaching. No, no man can forgive him, no person can forgive a man of sin except for God. And that's, that's important, God. And then Jesus looked at those Pharisees and said, all right, which one's easier, to say a man's sins are forgiven or to say rise up and walk? The Pharisee's just kind of looking. And he says, to show you who I really am. Then he looks at that guy and says, take up that bed and walk. And that man that was lame, he stood up. He started walking and he was jumping around and he was excited. And he did that to prove that he likewise had the power to say thy sins be forgiven thee. And to prove that he was God. So, God many, many times used power and used signs to prove that what was happening was supernatural and that it was from God. So, he gave these abilities to the uh, apostles as well. So, let's look at Acts chapter number 2. I'm going to read verse number 1 through 14, and I want you to see the story. Okay, we're just going to look at the story. I want you to see what happens. Verse number 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come. Don't let that word Pentecostal uh, scare you. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Boy, we know what wind sounds like in big timber. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues as of fire, and it sat on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, if you stop there, you'd look at that and be like, okay, they just began speaking some kind of a, a odd language. What's, what's going on? Obviously, they're doing something different with their mouth than communicating in the known way. You have to finish reading. Look at verse number five. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem, which is where they were, Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Oh, so lots of different cultures, lots of different races and nationalities there. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Behold, are these not all which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? 
Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in the Mesopotamia and in Judea and the Cappadocia, I hope I said that right, and in Pontus and in Asia, Ferga and Pamphylia and Egypt and all the parts of Libya around Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocked and said, Ah, oh, these men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken unto my words. Now, what happened? Uh, actually, let's, let's keep reading because I think this is important too. For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. So we'll, now we can stop there. So here's the narrative of what happened. Jesus Christ has recently, when I say recently, I mean very, very freshly, has just died, and he rose again back to heaven. And now God has told the apostles, all right, Peter, James, John, it's your guy's job. I want you to go and preach to everyone. It's your job to go tell people about me. Now here they are in Jerusalem, and you're at this hub of nationalities. Think of America like being in New York. Well, you're going to go there, and you're going to see people from all races and all walks of life and all nationalities. Remember that, that look at that big list in verses number 9 through 11. All these different countries of people were there. And they're hearing these men stand up on soapboxes preaching. Now, what kind of men are we talking about? Are we talking about college-educated, well-refined men? No. You're talking about some calloused-hand fishermen. They're Galileans. That's just what they were. They were just hard workers. There was nothing special about them. In fact, there are scriptures in the Bible that said everyone perceived they were unlearned and ignorant men. That was a reputation, and by and large, that's who they were. Now, all of a sudden, you've got this guy, Peter, who is, by all accounts, just a fisherman. He's standing up on a soapbox, and he is preaching and telling people the gospel of Jesus Christ in at least ten different languages. How is he doing that? God wanted these men to preach to every person in their own language so that they would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They didn't have time to go and find someone to, uh, to translate every little word and speak through the interpreter and so you know what's happening right now and let me tell you what Jesus did. No, it would be much more profitable for them just me all of a sudden, like if I'm in Mexico, God just gives me the ability to start preaching in Spanish. That would be an amazing thing. So people were looking at this and listen to what they said. Uh, verse number 12, and they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? How is this happening? How are we able to hear in our own language? And then, of course, you had the scoffers. Oh, well, they're, they're just, they're, they just must be drunk. Well, what are they doing? They're just trying to find an excuse for how it happened. I mean, there, there's, there's no rational explanation, so they're looking for one. Oh, well, maybe, maybe they're just drunk, you know. And that's the only thing they could come up with. Then Peter stood up and said, no, we're not drunk. This is from the Spirit of God. He's allowed us to do this. So it was important for them to know the gospel and to hear the gospel. So God gave these men the ability to speak in their own language, to preach to everyone in their own language. That was something that was very special and very different in that day. So what do we see today, though? If you turn on TV, most of those tongue speaking that I see on, on TV, uh, one of the biggest things now is what they're calling the new apostolic uh, N-A-R, New Apostolic Revolution or something. I can't remember what the R is. Um, Reformation. Is it Reformation? Anyway. Anyways, th this crowd, most of the time what you're going to see is they get up on TV and they start, they'll start preaching. And then right smack in the middle of a sentence, they'll throw out some nonsense words. And then they'll go back, back into preaching. 
Or, you know, they'll, they'll be in the middle of a prayer, and then for like two sentences, they'll throw in some nonsense words, and they'll go back into preaching. And you're like, okay, what's, what's happening? You know, what, why? Why? And then you look in scriptures, and there's like, you don't, you don't see that happening. What's the precedence for this? And there's a few things. We'll talk about what the precedence from that is. But first and foremost, before I ever actually start hitting on that, I want to show you more scriptures about why that does not meet the parameters for scriptural speaking in tongues. There's actually a lot of problems other than just, we don't know what you're saying. It's more than just that. So I've showed you where tongues started. It started in Acts chapter 2. You have men that are suddenly starting to preach in languages that were not known to them. They didn't know. They were unlearned. They were ignorant men, now all of a sudden speaking in Egyptian, which is pretty cool. Um, Let's go to our next scripture. Let's flip over to 1 Corinthians. So first, we have to define what tongues is. That was number one. When you define speaking in tongues, understand that according to Acts chapter 2, it is when a man, not knowing a language, through the power of God, is able to speak in an unknown tongue. Any language that's not his own, it's unknown. Now, let's talk about something else. If you're taking notes, there was a problem uh, in definition. There's also a problem with what I call a revelation. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, I'm going to go verses 9 and 10. Um, I'm going to start. I want to start in verse number. Let's start in verse number 5, or in verse number 4. 1 Corinthians 13, chapter number, or chapter number 13, verse number 4. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself up. It is not puffed up. So Paul's talking about how important it is to love one another. It does not behave itself unseemly, is not her own, is not easily provoked, thinking no evil, rejoicing not in iniquity, not rejoicing in truth. It beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. I mean, these are good. Charity never faileth. Whoa, watch this though. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I thought, or I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known, and now abideth faith, hope, and charity. These three, excuse me, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Now, of course, he's talking about love and how important love is. But in this context of talking about love, he takes a few minutes and kind of sidebars how, how knowledge and revelation is coming to pass right now. He gave an illustration. You guys ever, um, ever look through really, really old antique glass? How, how it's kind of, it's not, it's not near as clear as it is now. It actually is pretty hazy. After a while, it even starts getting a little bit crystallized. Hey, you want an example? Go look at the building next to us and try to <laughs> look through that glass. You can't see through it really good. It's, it's very hazy. Now, if you were a Christian in Jerusalem in, like, say, 100, 100 B.C. or uh, A.D., uh, you wouldn't have the Bible as we have it today. You know what you would have? You would have maybe a letter written here. Uh, you would have maybe some of the preachings of Peter 
And you would definitely have the Old Testament if you were able to get your hands on it. It was actually very expensive. But then what you would have is when you would go to a church service, it wouldn't probably be exactly like this one, but when you would go and you would meet, what would happen is a person would give you some kind of thing from the Lord. For example, Peter, if you were there from him, he would give you something directly from God. That's where the scriptures started coming from. The Apostle Paul wrote down things that were coming directly from God. God would allow them to speak in tongues in the sense of proving this is something from God. You had to have a special revelation directly from God because they did not have the Bible. It wasn't here yet. So what Paul is getting into is like all these things we're giving you, when you get a little nugget of somebody giving you something from God that's in an unknown tongue, that's a little piece. That is a piece of the puzzle. You don't have it. When I give you, again, speaking like for Peter, when I, as an apostle, give you a prophecy, I'm giving you a little piece. When you go over here and when you listen to the Apostle Paul and he prophesies something, you're getting a little piece. All we have right now are little pieces. And what you are doing, it's like you're looking through a mirror. You're looking through a glass and it's hazy. You're not getting the whole picture. That's what's happening. So go back through and I want you to read with that understanding. Verse number nine. For we know in part, okay, this point in time when he's preaching, they only had little pieces. We know in part. And we prophesy in part. So when they were prophesying, they were only giving little pieces. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, and I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly. So in this time, right here my Bible, if it's, I assume has done some good work, it says this was in A.D. 59. At this time, they didn't have the rest of the God's revelation for the New Testament yet. Everything they were getting was little bitty pieces, and they're looking through this glass, and it's hazy, and they're trying to see it. But eventually, God's full revelation was going to come. What was going to happen when the rest of it came? That which is in part will be done away. You don't need all these little bitty puzzle pieces trying to fit it together anymore because now all of it is here. Look again at verse number 8. Charity never faileth. But what's he say about the rest of the stuff? Whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. All of these things that were coming in little bitty nuggets here and there, eventually God was going to stop giving those because that which is perfect and complete, which we now have is the revelation of God's word completed, it's here. So God doesn't have to give us any new special revelation. And this is something that I want us to be leery of. A lot of these same people that you hear speaking in tongues today, this is what they'll tell you as well. It's, it is another part of the conversation. They'll say, oh, I just got this brand new from God, and I have to tell you exactly what God's given me right now. As soon as you hear that, I want you to have a red flag. Please, please have a red flag. If, you were, if I were to tell you, hey, um, I'll give you two things. If I were to come and tell you, uh, ladies and gentlemen, God has impressed upon my heart that, um, and by the way, I, I hope he never does this because I love where I am, but I, I know a man that happened, this happened to. If God were to say to me, um, Trevor, I, I want you to go and to be a, a missionary in South Africa. By the way, God's called pastors to do that. He, he has just, for whatever reason, pulled them out of a church and moved them somewhere. So if I were to come to you and say, ladies and gentlemen, God has called me to go be a missionary on a foreign field somewhere, and I would, I would have to come and tell you that. That is not some kind of new special revelation. That's just God pushing on my heart to do something. That's fine. 
But I will tell you something I heard another preacher say once. He was this prominent TV preacher, one of these guys. He said this, oh, I want you to know I've got something fresh from the Lord. And he's, you know, doing his thing. He says, I want you to know that God told me just a few moments ago that there are not only three gods. God is not just a trinity, but there are actually nine. That God the Father has a body, soul, and a spirit. Jesus has a body, soul, and a spirit. And the Holy Spirit has a body, soul, and a spirit. When you have three, three, and three, there are nine. And God wanted me to tell you that there are actually nine persons of the Godhead. I'm like, dude, you're a nut. I mean, let's just be honest. What's he doing? He's trying to show you that he got some kind of new revelation from God. No. All those things in part, those little nuggets are done. We now have the completed scripture. And in fact, if you go to Galatians chapter number one, Paul said, if anyone, even an angel, tells you something different than what's in these scriptures, you count that person to be accursed. That's, that's a high standard. That means I'm supposed to believe the Bible even over an angel that shows up and tells me something. That's, that's a very high bar. So I said that to say this. All the sign gifts that used to happen before we had the Bible, yes, they were a thing, but now we've got the Bible. We've got the revelation. We don't need the little pieces anymore. We've got the whole picture. So there's a revelation problem, okay? There's what we call a revelation problem. Um, there's another one. Let's look at something I'm going to call an interpretation problem. This is something that everybody skirts around. No one talks about. I think this is important. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So we're going to go back a little bit. Chapter 12. Let's look at verse number 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 10. And I've got a few different scriptures I want to read here. Uh, so back a few pages, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verse number 10. This is a scripture that talks about the, um, the different sign gifts that God has given. Verse number 10 says this. So to another, he gives, uh, talking about this gift, to another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, discerning of spirits, to another, diverse kinds of tongues. Oh, so it's actually many kinds of tongues. It's not just one language. It's many languages. Diverse kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. But all worketh that one, the selfsame spirit, dividing unto every man severally as he will. No one wants to talk about the interpretation of tongues. You, you, you ever notice that? Today, these guys that are doing this whole tongue-speaking thing that you see on TV, they'll stop dead in the middle of a sentence, say a few gibberish words, and then they'll continue on. Like, oh, okay, okay, whoa, whoa, what was that? Something that you see always that goes hand-in-hand in, hand in the Bible with, this, with legitimate tongue-speaking in the Bible, someone was able to know what they said, and someone legitimately interpreted the inter, interpreted, am I saying that right? Would interpret the words that they are saying. Forgive me for my grammatical hairs. Um, there was always someone there. You don't see that today. They just kind of rattle it on, and then they go on. In fact, I want to show you how important this was. Uh, let's go back to, back to chapter number 14, and then verse number 27. 1 Corinthians 14, 27. I want to show you just how structured true tongue speaking is in the Bible. Look at this parameter and see if anyone you've seen today does this. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. Okay, you've just seen a command from God himself here. This is, this is through, you know, through the Apostle Paul, but we've seen this come out of the Bible. 
if no one is there to interpret the tongues that are being spoken, keep your mouth shut. Because you're, you're just causing more confusion than you are causing anyone to be edified. He's saying, and this is also, if this is going to happen, let it happen in due course. There needs to be order and structure. So if someone is speaking in tongues, look at how he says it. Now, verse number 27. If any man speak in unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course, talking about orderly and structurally, let them speak and then let one person interpret. What you see today on some of these churches that are doing this, you have one person, he'll start rattling off nonsense words. No one's there to interpret. No one knows what he's saying. And most often, I'll say most often, a lot of times you'll see these guys act like they're going into some kind of trance and they, they talk about how they have this out-of-body type experience. No, this here says that this person is so sound of mind, they actually know when to just sit down and close their mouths. They have the power to do so. It's not some kind of out-of-body trance. It would not be commanded if you didn't have the ability to do it. So it's also something very structured, and there must be an interpreter. If there is no one there to interpret, then it should not be done. So that's a parameter that was given in Corinthians, but even, even today, even if it was a thing, no, no one does that. No one interprets. So true tongues was never something that was this uncontrolled trance type thing that was just said to sound good. It was done orderly. It was done structurally. And there was always someone there to interpret what was being said. Now, we also have this. You have something that I'm going to call the experience problem. And this isn't something I'm going to go to a scripture for. But I do, want to, I do want to present this. You can go on YouTube right now and you can type in how to speak in tongues. And there will be people there giving you lessons on how you can speak in tongues. And they'll tell you how to practice what I call your nonsense words and to get very fluent in those things. Some people will even tell you how you should just go into a room, turn the lights off, and shut the door and empty your mind until words start coming out. And I want to tell you something. The Bible tells me that God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but the spirit of power and love and a sound mind. Ladies and gentlemen, that's so important. It, God wants us to focus on knowledge. The Apostle Paul, he talks, and we'll probably read his words in a few minutes. He's like, look, I would rather see here, you know, just a few sentences and something that I can understand than a thousand words in an unknown tongue that I can't understand. He talks about his pedigree. Paul says, hey, I was, I was a college-educated man. I was, I was a Pharisee. I was a Jew of the Jews. I'm a Roman citizen. And he said, I counted all but dung for the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Why? Knowledge. So here's what I also, I, I try to never use, and I understand what people say when they say it. I also know what some people else mean when they say it. You will probably never hear me use this phrase, and this is why. Come experience worship. I have a problem with that word. Because experience is, it's me. What do I feel? What's happening with me? And a lot of these people, what they're doing is they will even say this, and I've heard people say this. You know you've truly gotten saved when you experience speaking in tongues. When you experience some warm, washing feeling waving over you, you know you've experienced the Holy Spirit. And it's experience, 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 and they'll never once open their Bibles. I'm like, okay, I, I understand you want to feel the presence of God, and the Bible talks about having the peace of God and having the power of God. I get it. But man, if you are so heavy on just what you can feel, you'll get wrapped up in this stuff. Because everyone wants to feel something, but no one wants to sit down and meditate on God's word, which, by the way, is what was commanded for us to do. We were commanded to meditate to learn, 
to think. Hide God's word in your heart that I might not sin against thee. That's what we're commanded to do. You'll never find in the Bible where you're commanded to experience a feeling. Okay. So what is, what is the whole motive behind these, these guys? Man, they're wanting to feel something. It's all about experience, and that is problematic. That's problematic. And then lastly, I want to show you this, and we'll be done. We've got just a couple minutes. Um, there's also another problem. I say the importance problem. So we've talked about how there's a definition problem. It's not gibberish words. It's actually a known language that other people could hear. Um, some people say it's all about getting a new revelation from God. No, God gave us his revelation. Um, then we said there's a problem because there's no interpreters. Then we said there's a problem because all people want experience. It's not experience. Now about importance. Uh, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse number 18. Let's read verse number 18. Look what the Apostle Paul said. Verse number 18. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than ye all. Hey, great. Man, Paul was happy. The Lord's using me. That's a good thing. Look how he continues on, though. Yet in the church, I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Now, people today that want to do this tongue-speaking stuff, they want speaking in tongues more than they want understanding. They, they want to reach some kind of new level of, oh, man, he's speaking in tongues. He's got it. Okay, well, Paul just said, I would rather have five words that I actually know what you're saying than an hour's worth of that stuff. Why? Because it's not as important. It's not something that you can hear. It's not something that you can understand. And if someone were to ever just jump up and start speaking in an unknown tongue and everyone here is like, well, he's saying something. I don't, even, I don't know what it is. How is that helping anyone? How are we learning anything, and how are you now stronger in your faith by anything that just happened? Well, ultimately, we're not. So, verse number 18. I thank my God that I speak tongues more than ye all, yet in the church I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Brethren, be not children in understanding, howbeit in malice be ye children in understanding being men. He was talking a little bit ago about, you know, being as a child, thinking as a child, doing things as a child. You, and that's appropriate when you're a child. But Paul has also been saying, as it comes a time, we need to grow up. And we need to take things in a mature sense of the scripture, in a mature sense of understanding, which is what we have now today, that they did not have then. Now, so here's, and I'm going to give you one more thing, and we're, I guess, one more point, and we're done. So we're speaking in tongues a thing. Yeah, in the book of Acts, in the early church, when God needed to spread the gospel to people that didn't speak the language of Peter and Paul and these guys, he allowed them to teach them in their own language, which is an amazing thing. That way the gospel could spread even faster. So was it a thing? Yeah. Is it a thing today? No, because now that which is perfect has come. We don't have the little pieces of individual revelation anymore. Where there shall be tongues, they shall cease, it said in Corinthians 10. So we now have these things that are full, and it's come. Now, some of you might be thinking this, and if you're not, that's fine. I'll just go ahead and present it to you. Um, a lot of these guys will also say this. Oh, yeah, but there's another kind of tongues. And I'm like, eh. And this is what they'll say. Well, when the Bible says it's an unknown tongue, it's a tongue that nobody even knows about, that only between you and God you know what's really being said. And when that happens, the interpretation is just open to whatever you feel. I'm like, okay, that's... That sounds super spiritual and fluffy, but you can't find me any scriptural basis for it. 
in the Bible, unknown just specifically talks about it being unknown to the person that is speaking it. They didn't know. And even then, you never see a time when someone is speaking in tongues and there's no one there to interpret it. So does the Bible say that sometimes we don't know what to pray and the Spirit prays for us on our behalf? Yes, absolutely. There are times when I'm before God, I'm on my knees, and my heart is aching over something, and I don't even have the words to say. In that moment, God knows what's on our heart, and the Holy Spirit talks to God on our behalf for us. But that doesn't mean that my tongue starts spouting out nonsense words. Okay, you'll, you'll, never, you'll never find that in the Scripture. So, anyway, th- this is another one of those things. I know that people, people have questions. I, and by the way, a lot of times different opinions on but I wanted to show you my scriptural basis for why I believe what I believe. So does speaking in tongues happen today? The way you see it on some of these other churches and on TV? No, that's not a thing. I would also venture to say this. If God saw fit to give a person the supernatural ability to speak to a people that do not have the gospel, I'd probably be okay with that. For example, if if God called my buddy to be a missionary somewhere in some foreign land, and he's going to some tribe that has their own language full of clicks and pops, and suddenly he can start preaching to those guys, man, I'm great with it. Preach on, because they've never had the scripture anyway. But what we see today happening in America, that, that, that doesn't meet the, that's not meet the scriptures. That's, that's not what's happening in the scriptures. That is something I would venture to say, and is not for today's time. I would say actually something that has a very malicious and sinister foundation. Um, That's for a different day. Um, Anyway. So guys, I hope this is something that at least answers a few questions for you. Uh, Speaking in tongues is a thing, but not like we see it in America. So so just based on time, let's go ahead and pray. We'll be dismissed. If you have any questions about that, even if you want to talk about it, man, I'm here. Stick around. Let's talk about it. I, I always love talking about these things. And furthermore, if you have questions that's on your heart and you're like, hey, What's the Bible say about this? Man, let's talk about that too. Might even do a lesson on it. So let's bow for prayer. Our Lord, we love you. I want to again thank you for being so very good to us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be right by the scriptures. And according to the scriptures, I pray that you would help us to live and act and walk in the way that you have showed us. Lord, more than anything, we want to be right before you. So I pray that the Bible would be our guide and it would be our light. And Lord, I pray that we would live by it accordingly. I pray you go with each and every one of us until we can come together here again. And I pray that you would help us keep our hearts and our minds on you. And even as we talked about in the last message a few minutes ago, Lord, I pray that you would help us to have our hearts where they ought to be, within our homes. And that, Lord, we, as men, we would love our wives, and as wives, we would love our husbands. And, Lord, may we have only one heart and have that heart where it ought to be. And, Lord, in doing so, I know we're different. But, Lord, we'd be right with you. We love you, Jesus. And I thank you so much for each and every person that's here. And I thank you for this church. Lord, what a wonderful thing it is to be able to honor you in a place where I can see brothers and sisters in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.